Welcome to this Bethel Church Blackheath podcast on this the third Sunday of Advent. <clears throat> My thoughtful day earlier this month referred to the words often seen on Christmas cards, namely, wise men still seek him. Today I want to look at some different words again on we see on Christmas cards, and these words are taken from Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, where it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In the first words of this verse, Isaiah uses repetition to emphasize the point, the child is born, the son is given. This glorious prophecy of the birth of the Messiah reminds Israel that the victory bringing Messiah would be a human being. Theoretically, the Messiah could have been an angel, or the Messiah could have been God without his humanity. But neither of those options would have qualified the Messiah to be our saviour and high priest as Jesus was. The child had to be born. What an amazing mystery. There's nothing more weak or helpless or more dependent than a newborn child. Theoretically, the Messiah could have been uh, could have become, could have come rather, as a fully grown man, created as an adult, even as Adam had been created. But for Jesus to fully identify with humanity and to display in his life the servant nature that is in God, he became a baby. Philippians 2 verse 7 reminds us that Jesus made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. This child would be a man, but more than a man. He is also the eternal Son of God, the second person of the Godhead. The Son had to be given. John reminds us in chapter 3 and verse 16 that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. What glorious truth! We needed a perfect, infinite being to offer a perfect, infinite atonement for our sins. We needed Emmanuel, God with us. The child could be born because the humanity of Jesus had to have a starting point. There was a time when humanity was not added to Jesus' deity. The Son had to be given because the second person of the Trinity is eternal and existed forever as the Son, even before adding humanity to his deity. He never became less God, but he added a human nature to his divine nature, and so became one person with two distinct natures, functioning together in perfect harmony. That Jesus is both God and man tells us that man really is made in the image of God, as Genesis 1 verse 26 tells us. And that perfect humanity is more compatible with deity than we often imagine. It says that our problem is not our humanity, but our fallenness. To say, I'm only human, is sometimes wrong because Jesus was fully human, yet perfect. It is more accurate to say, I'm only fallen. But remember that the humanity that Jesus added to his divine nature 
was not the sinful humanity we know, but the perfect humanity of Adam and Eve before the fall. Jesus remains a man eternally. He did not relinquish his humanity on his ascension to heaven. He is now a man in a resurrection body, as we too will be one day if we put our faith and trust in him. If Jesus were not fully man, he could not stand in the place of sinful man and be a substitute for the punishment man deserves. If he were not fully God, his sacrifice would be insufficient. If Jesus is not fully God and fully man, we are all lost in our sins. The verse goes on, and the government will be upon his shoulder. Ultimately, this will be fulfilled in the millennial reign of Christ and the rule of his as King of Kings and Lord of Lords on the earth. The ultimate fulfilment of this promise is yet to come. The current chaos of the UK government probably leaves you as frustrated as me. Standards of honesty have crumbled. Integrity has gone out of the window. Public service has been replaced with a what can I get out of this attitude by many people in power. The only trait to match dishonesty, dishonesty seems to be hypocrisy. Who can we trust? The shoulders of politicians seem to be about an inch wide, but their pockets, pockets much wider. Do I sound a bit cynical? I am. I must be getting old. Do I believe we could elect better people? Maybe. How do I feel about the future? Hopeless, outside of knowing Jesus. What's the best thing we can do? Keep praying for the coming day when the government will be upon his shoulder. Is it possible to see the government upon his shoulder today? Gail Irwin writes about the government God promises in the future, but believes it may also be seen right now. He says, what might such a government look like? First of all, it would look like it's king. Politicians of this day look at what they can get from you. Jesus looks for what he can do for you. Leaders of this day surround themselves with servants. Jesus surrounded himself with servanthood. Leaders of this day trade their influence for money. John 3.16 tells us God so loved the world that he gave. Leaders of this day are desperate to be seen and heard. Jesus sought anonymity so he could be useful. The higher the plane of importance one reaches in this world, the more inaccessible the person becomes. Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us. His government shows its working in wonderful ways. When I see loving Christians gently caring for orphans and those rejected by family, I know that I'm watching people governed by God. When I see people eager to learn from the Bible and joyously praising, I know who the governor is. Whenever I see people give up lucrative careers simply to go and share the good news of Jesus, I know that they are governed by God. So indeed, the government is alive and working, often silently, mostly unseen. We can be and are by choice governed by God. Hope and joy and peace and rest covers its subjects. Justice, mercy and grace amazingly coexist. I like this kingdom. 
The borders are open. Come on in. His name will be called. As parents, do you remember the debates you had over children's names? I remember we had trouble with boys' names, but we, sorry, we didn't have trouble with boys' names, but we did go around the houses a bit on girls' names. The names we find in these verses are not literal names of the Messiah. Instead, they reflect aspects of his character. They describe who he is and what he came to do. In the Jewish culture, a name doesn't just identify or distinguish a person. It also attempts to express the very nature of their being. So what are these names? The Messiah is wonderful. The glory of who he is and what he has done for us should fill us with wonder. You can never really look at Jesus, really know him and be bored. He is wonderful and will fill your heart and mind with amazement. The Messiah is our counsellor. Jesus is the one fit to guide our lives and should be the Christian's immediate resource as a counsellor. Jesus can and does help us with our problems. He may use the physical presence and words of another Christian to do it, but ultimately Jesus is our counsellor. He's our counsellor in the sense that he sits in the high council of the Godhead and takes counsel with the Father and the Holy Spirit for our good. It was the high council of the Godhead that brought forward the plan of salvation. It arranged that the Son must suffer, that he must be the substitute, that he must bear his people's sins and be punished in their stead. The Father must accept the Son's substitution and allow his people to go free because Christ has paid their debts. The Spirit of the living God must then cleanse the people whom the blood had pardoned, and so they must be accepted before the presence of God, even the Father. The High Council of the Godhead guides our lives. Charles Spurgeon wrote this, Remember, there is nothing that happens in your daily life but what has first been devised in eternity and counselled by Jesus Christ for your good and in your behalf, that all things might work together for your lasting benefit and profit. Oh, how strange providence seems to you and me. Does it look like a zigzag? This way, that way, backwards, forwards, like the journeyings of the children of Israel in the wilderness. Ah, oh, my brethren, but to God it's a straight line. Directly, God always goes to his subject, and yet to us he often seems to go round about. Let's learn to leave providence in the hands of the great counsellor. Jesus' counsel is necessary counsel. It's faithful counsel without any self-interest. It isn't detached and unemotional. Jesus' counsel is sweet. When we go to Christ, we get wisdom, we get love, we get sympathy. We get everything that can possibly be wanted in a counsellor. The Messiah is mighty God, the God of all creation and glory, the Lord who reigns in heaven, the one worthy of our worship and praise. This is a straightforward declaration of the deity of the Messiah. Some groups, such as the Jehovah's Witnesses, try to make a distinction between mighty God and almighty God. Scripturally, there's no distinction because both titles are used of Jesus and Yahweh. 
The Messiah is the everlasting Father. Of all the names attributed to the Messiah, this one intrigues me the most because I understand it the least. In the Hebrew construction of the phrase, Father is the primary and, and everlasting is the term that describes his fatherhood. He is Father forever. So, as the everlasting Father, the Messiah will be a Father, that's a protector and provider, and his fatherhood will be without end. It does not mean that Jesus himself is the person of the Father in the Trinity. Perhaps the passage that most powerfully illustrates Jesus' fatherly care for his people is in John 17, as he prays to his own father just hours before the crucifixion. He reflects on his relationship with his disciples, those you gave me out of the world. To these men and women entrusted to his care, Jesus, Messiah, revealed the fullness of God. As he goes to give up his life for them in a display of depth, of the depth of his commitment, he hands them back to his father and asks him to keep them, to give them joy, to set them apart and to one day reunite them with him. Such is the heart of Christ the Messiah for us, his children. He utterly reflects and lays bare the heart of his own father. The unconditional love and self-giving that Jesus himself enjoyed for all eternity from his father, he now pours out to us. The Messiah is the Prince of Peace. He is the one who makes peace, especially between God and man. Jesus Christ is the only reason we can live peacefully, we can truly live peacefully life, peaceful lives with God. The right relationship with God is the foundation of living in harmony with all his creation. In Jesus, our fears in death are removed and replaced with the gift of eternal life. Moreover, the Son of God has become the Prince of Peace, so that we, the children of God, may become peacemakers. With the peace of God reigning over our lives, we will see heaven on earth as we wait expectantly for the second coming of the Prince of Peace. I finish with a quote from John Calvin who said this, Whenever, in short, it appears to us that everything is in a ruinous condition, let us call to remembrance that Christ is called wonderful because he has the inconceivable methods of assisting us and because his power is far beyond what we are able to conceive. When we need counsel, let us remember that he is the counsellor. When we need strength, let us remember that he is mighty and strong. When new terrors spring up suddenly every day, <clears throat> and when many deaths threaten us from various quarters, let us remember that eternity of which he is with good reason called the Father. And by the same comfort, let us learn to soothe all our temporal distresses. When we are inwardly tossed or by various tempests, and when Satan attempts to disturb our consciences, let us remember that Christ is indeed the Prince of Peace, and that it is, e that it is easy for him quickly to allay all our uneasy feelings. May God bless to us. The few thoughts from Isaiah. Thank you for listening.